0: For our morning lectionary passage, it's going to be from Psalm 103, 1 to 13. And it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justiceness for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And so, Father God, we just stand this morning in the light and the love of who you are. We thank you that you are a compassionate Father and God and that your love is overwhelming and incomprehensible. Lord, we thank you that you are walking us through this season with guidance and grace, that you are giving us what we need for the day, that you are always a God that is attentive to our needs. Lord, we thank you that you are far more compassionate and graceful than we could ever have imagined. That you don't look at our sin when you see us, but you see us as your children. And so, Lord, we just pray a special blessing over everyone hearing this service this morning. That they may know that they are loved and seen by you. Lord, we just pray off any ideas that the enemy has ever given us that we can't come to you and that you don't love us because we're not perfect Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves imperfect things, and that you sent your son to prove so. Lord, we just pray over this family, over this people of God, that they feel your peace this morning, that they feel your kindness. We pray down distractions, may kids start to chill out and get curious about the service, may the coffee start to work, may family start to settle down and just truly be present with you this morning. We just love you and we exalt you and you are such a good God. And so thank you for meeting with us this morning. And in your holy name we pray. Amen. And so Father God, we just sing about your goodness. And we find ourselves in the tension of what we see in the world and what we know to be true in the spirit. Lord, there is chaos and there is and there is hurt and it almost seems audacious to say that the goodness of God can be seen but Lord we thank you that you invite us into this divine work to see your hand and so Lord we bring before you hundreds of requests silently in our hearts we bring before you news lines that make no sense God, we pray for the universal church and its members and its mission that you draw near to the Christians overseas being persecuted on the daily for their faith in you, Lord. Lord, that you are a God that is tangible and felt in their hearts and in their communities. We pray for the Pakistani man who is facing execution this week simply for declaring who you are, Lord. We pray for his family and his community that they are strengthened. Lord, we pray for the brokenness in Florida, for the pastor and his wife who were killed in unnecessary violence, Lord, that you draw near to their families and give them some type of peace or understanding as they wrestle through their grief. Lord, hear our prayer and for the world and all of those in it, for the fires that have been raging in California and Oregon and Washington, and for the lives that have been displaced, for the land that has been lost and the animals. And Lord, we just pray into that situation that you are there and we know that you are there, Lord. We thank you for the relentless work of volunteers and firefighters who are choosing to be separate from those who they love in order to do a good work, Lord, that your hand is there and miracles are seen, Lord. We just pray for peace on the earth. God, we just pray in the midst of all of this chaos that you are known, especially in Congo, for the gold mine that was collapsed and the 50 who were feared dead. Lord, draw near to them. For their families who were waiting on the other side for a phone call that will change their life. For the men who are in there praying, Lord, that they know that you are so close. We pray for rescue and victory. Lord, hear our prayer. And for the welfare in Smyrna and in Cobb County, Lord, we pray for teachers and parents as they begin to move back into meeting. Be with the anxieties that come with that. Be with the organization that needs to come with that. Lord, just draw near to everyone as they begin to transition into what we call the new normal. Give guidance in that situation. And for the family that was hurt in the collapse of the parking deck in Midtown, Lord, that you are there for a speedy recovery. Lord, we pray for you, especially in the community here, for our local community and all of those that suffer. And Lord, we pray for the family of Angie Lim's friend Larry as they deal with a devastating loss, Lord, that you just draw near to them. that you just bring them peace, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for Nick Resden and his recovery. Lord, we thank you in advance what you're going to do for the healing that you're going to bring to him. We pray for Brooke Hamill's stepmom and her health. But we are a community with many needs and many worries and anxieties and you are a God with big hands and you ask them to lay, lay them in your hand, Lord. So we just do that in faith for the things that are hard for us to even tell our community because we're so unsure if it will happen, Lord. I pray that you give us a special word this morning. Let this be a sign to those in doubt that you hear them that you see their situation and that you are already working for their good before they thought to pray. So God, we just thank you that we are invited to press in and believe and have faith and pray bold prayers when the world seems at chaos. Because you are doing something and you will do something and your name will be glorified on the earth. Lord, you are such a good God, and we just pray that we have vision to see your hand at work. And Lord, I seal this prayer that you, you put on our hearts, the work that you have called us into, Lord. That we understand the weight of being the body of God, that we look around and we see need and that we feel inspired to help fill it, Lord. I pray that you give us action, that you put our body where our theology is and that you give us hands and feet that would do your work, Lord. And so we partner with you in the prayers that we have prayed this morning. We ask for assignment and mission, Lord. And we pray that you make us obedient to your call because this work that we are giving to you, Lord, you give it back to us and you invite us to help you. And so Lord, we thank you We thank you for the miracles and the blessings that we will be praying through next week because you have heard us this morning. And we love you and we thank you for loving us. And in your precious son's name we pray, amen.
1: But as Mariah was praying, actually, I almost beat her up here wrong, wrongly, which is a wrong word, but you didn't see that at home for all seven of you watching all around the globe. Calm yourselves. So, intercommunal things are, I think they're especially important now because of where we're at in the body of Christ and what God's drawing us into. And so, it seems like we've been stepping out of captivities. And one of the phrases that, and one of the scriptures that our intercessory team has been kind of feeling like it's for our body is the idea that the, that the Israelites left the captivity of Egypt into the hopeful new land, but always were facing their previous captivities. And I think we've seen over the last few weeks and over these last few months that we've had to come face to face with our captivities. Some of them don't look like captivities. Some of them have been wrongly labeled blessings, like an overzealous drive for finances or the next position or things or even the God of busyness. These things are captivities that we would choose in a lot of sense, in a lot of ways, because they feel maybe a little better than the place where you have to be provided for each day. And that place in the desert for the Israelites was a place that they had to wake up and hope that God would do it again. And it would look like God wanted it to look. And so they started to grumble because captivity looked better than the new freedom they were stepping into. God wants to cleanse our appetites of the previous captivities. And one of them today is what we're gonna talk about in this text. And it's a captivity most of us Do not like to bump into. Last week we talked about how unity in the body is so important and when someone wrongs you, to go to the person who has wronged you and have a conversation. And if that doesn't work, take brothers or sisters who have wisdom with you to mediate and be there. Not to show wrong, but to listen. And if that doesn't work, share with the body. And if that doesn't work, then that brother or sister needs to transition from the body and if that's how it happens, you've got to treat them like you would treat a tax collector or a Gentile, which in that culture meant you hated them, but Jesus showed us that he ate with those people. Those are people he invited to actually become his disciples. So it's kind of a play on the scripture and a little bit like a, wait a second, you think you know what's happening, but you don't. But today is a, is a captivity I think most of us would rather not look at, and it's the idea of forgiveness, and every text that I looked at in the lectionary today had it in it. It literally was like, you're gonna preach this today whether you like it or not. And so I made a list of all the people that have harmed me in the past year. <laughs> I'm just gonna read through it, so. I think that's what we would wanna do, right? Like we would want, we would want to make sure, I think in Christian community, you're like, it's, we put such a high emphasis on what Christian community to be, could be, there's no room for it to be normal people. We're people who need Jesus for sure but the Christian community at least should be better than the community in the world. And a lot of times we don't see that. And so when we come into things like people who have actually harmed us that need to be forgiven, it almost feels like they don't deserve it, even as Christians. I think we think, all right, I'll forgive once, but any more than that, it's not happening. My favorite baseball player right now is Ronald Acuna Jr. And I legitimately think he's the best player that I've ever watched and he's been hit by the same pitcher from the Marlins literally three times and had to face what it's like to stand in the box. I hate sports analogies for sermons so much, but I'm doing it, you know? I'm just going to run with it. I'm going to throw that pass right now. But he got hit three times, and the announcers were literally like, do it to me once, okay, do it to me twice, I'll forgive you the third time, though. And that's literally how we think, right? Like we... We are okay with making space for forgiveness, but forgiveness as a baseline for actually what is built and what is being built in community as a baseline for non-forgiveness to be the exception, that's not something we're comfortable with. First thing I wanna share right off the bat about forgiveness is this is something that's employed by a lot of Christians, especially in the heat of 2020, where it's almost like we don't want to look at power or what power's done. And we don't want to look at who has been demonized or oppressed. So let's just, let's just throw forgiveness around so we don't have to look at what we need healed from. So we don't have to look at where racial reconciliation needs to happen or communal reconciliation needs to happen. This is not what this is. Forgiveness is not a band-aid over something that needs to be healed. It's not just a, no, we'll turn our eyes to so that's happening, but we don't have to look at it. Forgiveness is also something that deals with where people have been hurt deeply. So when we're talking about true forgiveness, we're looking at situations where people have been truly wronged. And it's not enough to just say, we'll forgive them. So if you're a spouse of someone who is harming or hurting you, it's not enough to say, we'll forgive them and just go back. That's not okay. If you're a part of our society that has been literally harmed for hundreds of years, it's not okay to say, we're gonna see this systemic racism that's here and not, not speak to it like it truly is. That's not okay, that's not what this is. But it also isn't the idea that we can be judge and justice only. So, if it's not just those things, today I'm hoping that this passage, which is crazy, and you've all heard it, you've heard it so many times, right? Who knows just a little bit apart about this text that talks about how many times you, f- you should forgive someone. How many times should you do it? 70 seven. times seven or seven times 70 or there's so many different ways people are saying this is literally presented. So today when I read this, I do want you to start with the idea this is not just individually for you. This is for the community of God, right? This is for all of us because I think this is the core of the entire gospel. So this content today, it's not just a thing for you to intake so that you can forgive your dad or your mom or your ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend or that roommate that did you wrong or the person who's doing you wrong right now. It is the foundation for how Christian community is built. It should be noticeable, right? It's when you enter Christian community, if the most notable things are our political differences, It's not working. It should be noticeable that this is a part of our every conversation, right? And so, I'm gonna read you Matthew 18, 21 through 35. It's gonna be up there, back there, and in your hearts, where you've memorized it. It says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Ouch, that's a lot. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will will pay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart and the Lord's people said (laughs) so good right that's so I just wanna share a couple things right after reading that that are really important. This is hyperbole. So if you're building your theology on the end times or what happens in the afterlife off this passage, you're doing it wrong. This is not that text. This is such emphatic extremes, it's not real. And, and, and Jesus is wanting people to know that. How much is this number in this culture and in this language? It's the highest possible number that can be written. It's like a billion dollars to us how much could this person actually pay back if they had to pay back? There'd be no way. So he's trying to jolt and shock to lead people into something deep and meaningful. The parables of Jesus, the words of Jesus are always reading us, right? We like to pick apart the parts that we wanna make, kind of order our theology and Jesus is like, go deeper. Go deeper into these words. The scriptures are beautiful. The scriptures are meant to do this to us where we're like, oh my gosh, oh, he's gonna torture him? What? He's gonna do that? He's gonna spend? He, he definitely shouldn't have done that, but he's gonna do that to this. It's meant to do these things to us because it's trying to read us. It's trying to draw out of us what's inside of us, right? So that we can see the words of Jesus. How many times? It's the largest number. Peter needs limits. So this is where I think we stand. There's a couple different ways to read this. One, seven times, I think one of Peter's flaws is that he's really zealous. And to say seven times, it's the perfect number. So he's almost like, Jesus, do you want me to forgive perfectly? Is that how you want me to do it? Or it's like he's saying, I would like to know when I have to stop this. Because it's ridiculous for there to be harm to be done. And like one or two or three is, is a lot, but seven, that's a lot, right? And Jesus is like, no, it's seven times 77. And he's like, Okay, well, what does that mean, Jesus? And what Jesus is saying is, you can't limit this idea to a number. There's no boundary where you're like, oh, now here, here. This is where Jesus says no more forgiveness. Jesus is saying, it's not something you numerically name. It's something you culturally live. This is a part of your personal culture and your corporate culture. This is not necessarily a part of most of our corporate and personal cultures. So what is Jesus saying here to them? This will be a recognizable thing that happens in my communities. Our natural response, and I love this take in one of the commentaries, is when you are harmed, which all of you are, every single one of you have harm that you can label today. And most of us in this room, if we're honest, are in the process of harming someone possibly. So it's, we're, we're give and take in this, right? Like we're not just the receiver of harm, we're also the giver of harm. Those of us who are most pious and righteous, those of us who are most closely connected to Jesus are harming people even if we don't know sometimes. So what's being said here? What is happening is unforgiveness or anger as a response, retaliation as a response is like when you get poison ivy and it starts to fester and grow. Who's allergic to poison ivy? Everybody, right? If you're not, then amen, good job. Whatever you're doing, I want, I want some of it. But when you receive it, like, the first, you know, you're, this, is, this is it. You're, like, especially if you're young, with my kids, it's like, I'm going to scratch this, daddy. I don't care what you say. I'm like, okay. And you start to scratch, and all of a sudden it's here. But it feels so good to scratch poison ivy. It feels so good. And that's what it's like to harbor unforgiveness. It, it literally becomes you, right? You just want to scratch it a little bit. Because someone harmed you and it was real. So to say something in anger or something about that person behind their back or to, to go even farther and take it on social media or literally person to person is like scratching an itch, which is the natural response. So if you struggle in your ability to let people go, that's the natural response. Forgiveness has to be learned it's not something we come out of the womb doing naturally. We're actually trained to do differently. So you have to learn it. Forgiveness is something that is built over time. It's built over time. And then all of a sudden, one day, your response is different than it was before. But it doesn't happen right after you say, "'Jesus, free me, I want to be yours.'" It's called discipleship, it's called sanctification, and it's a process that happens over time. And most of our most gifted people still don't know how to do this. We honor gift, we honor great voices and awesome preachers, we honor these things and we don't require what it means to be a brother or sister in the community and the family of God. This is what a community is about. So what's, what it's not real quick, and I'm just gonna read these really quickly. What forgiveness is not, it's not denial. That you can just pretend that something didn't happen, that's not helping you or anybody else. That's not helping you to just be like, ah, well, that person punched me in the face, but it's not a big, I mean, it wasn't, it's not a big deal. It's not, a big, I mean, it was in front of my family and I'm still I'm ble- bleeding from, it's not a big deal. It's not denial, right? It's when someone has harmed you, you need to be like, this is where the harm was. This is where I was hurt. It's gotta be like that. You can't pretend. It's not a detour or a shortcut. The work of forgiveness is not, avoiding reconciliation that needs to happen, right? This is what the church maybe is doing in America right now. Like, we don't really need to look at those issues. Let's just praise God more, right? Like, let's, let's make it about something it's not now. Like, this is the issue, but now, is this the issue or is this the issue? It's really this, and now you're like, what are you doing? Like, let's just look at the thing we need to ask forgiveness for. Wouldn't it just be awesome if we were like, we did it, sorry. It's not a detour or a shortcut to not have to own your own stuff, It's not synonymous with healing and reconciliation. In fact, forgiveness is the very beginning point of healing and reconciliation. And if you need to forgive someone or need to be forgiven, you understand that to be true. It doesn't just happen like that. You still have to be around a person that harmed you and you have to figure out how to navigate that. You still have to not retaliate when they do a thing that's normal and then you're just overreacting about your past wounds. Like that's totally, that's what this guy does. I pretend like it's not there. And that's not quick and easy. Like the, the work of reconciliation, it goes at the speed of Jesus. Jesus was not driving a Ferrari around Jerusalem. Did I say Ferrari? That's, I don't even know what that's a combination of. Ferrari? Ferrari is the first word. Priority? Audi? Huh? We'll see. He wasn't. The pace of Jesus, right? He traveled on foot from community to community and he had real-time relationships with people and dinners lasted like eight hours. It's a process. To speed through our walk and our communal life means that we're possibly leaving Jesus out of it, especially with things like reconciliation, healing, forgiveness, talking to someone who has harmed you, seeking Jesus for growth and discipleship. Right. All of these things take time for things to be developed. In fact, we need leaders in the church that are willing to go through development. We don't need to blast or say that we don't need seminary. Seminary is a good thing. The Spirit of God is a good thing. Can they be married together? Can the process of growth and learning over time be married together for us? I don't even know what I'm saying right there, but I'm just gonna keep going. So if it's not those things, what is it? I wanna read you a couple quotes. Withholding forgiveness is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. And Lamont, next one. Forgiveness is a way to unburden oneself from the constant pressure of rewriting the past. Nora Gallagher. And then I love this one from Henry Nouwen. Forgiveness is the name of love practiced among people who love poorly. The hard truth is that all people love Poorly. And so we need to forgive and be forgiven every day, every hour increasingly. Forgiveness is the great work of love among the fellowship of the weak, that is, human family. So to expect that there isn't brokenness in church would lead you to think there doesn't need to be forgiveness. To expect that every person in this room and listening is broken would lead you to think there needs to be forgiveness and there needs to be space within yourself to say You did me wrong, and I forgive you. Amen? So the care here, the core here, and there's one part of this passage that really kind of zings this community. The core here is that you have to understand what you have received, and then you have to pass it along. I'm gonna read you Psalm 103, and I'm gonna read you a lot of it. So you're gonna need to embrace yourself. Scripture is good. Amen? All God's people said, you can bring up, do you remember, right? This, this is a trick, don't read that yet. This, this part of this story that Jesus is telling is a trick and I'm not saying Jesus tricks people. Last time I said Jesus tricks people, I got emails about saying, you don't, Jesus doesn't trick anybody and I was like, well, he's tricked me before into a lot of stuff. Anyway, I digress. So this part of this story is letting the reader see, oh my gosh. I've literally done what's happening here to others. It's not about the king or the servant. It's not about the 10,000 or the 100. It's about the person hearing the story. And the question being asked is, do you even understand what you have received? Because if you understand what you have received, you will give that. But if you have not understood what you have received, you will not give it. How do you know if you understand? Are you giving resentment and anger? Are you giving payback? Are you scratching the itch? Or are you initially saying, this is hard, but I'm, I, I'm seeing this from a different perspective, right? A hermeneutic of generosity. I'm seeing that this is possibly an area God is saying, this, is, this actual thing that hurts you is the opportunity for the entrance of the gospel for that person. You thought this was about you because people shouldn't treat me that way. This is my invitation for that family, person, community to start to see what the gospel of Christ looks like. It's not even about us. So this story, right? If there are limits, this is the only part to me that's like, ow. So what are the limits of the grace of God towards us? What this story is saying is when we decide we don't give it to others, we stop walking in the grace of forgiveness. So that's scary. When we decide we will not extend this to others, we decide we would rather not walk in the grace of God for ourselves. This does not excuse horrible behavior. This does not excuse genocide. This does not excuse excuse racial hatred. This is an invitation to us to see that the gospel message for us means that we will walk into those hard places where forgiveness is needed and offer it. How many times? 70 times seven maybe? Because I'd probably count that out. There are people in my life that have done close to that. Right, I am sure that I have done close to that to other people. 70 times seven? Yeah, that's like, I don't even know how much that is. My son could tell me right now. 70 times seven. 77 times seven. I don't know, whatever it is. So, So for you, what is this stirring in you, this hermeneutic of even now forgiveness? If it's not just an avoidance, if it's not a quick speed through, if it's not quick and fast, What's the community of God do? I think there's one thing I wanna note, that there are neighbors in this passage. There are neighbors after this guy receives forgiveness for over a billion dollars and then goes out for 100 denarii and then chokes a dude out. So it's just drastic situations after drastic situations. Not only does he not forgive a minuscule debt, he chokes this person out, sends him to prison. And then the people near that This is one of the most beautiful parts of this story. The people seeing this happen have something happen in their heart. And this story is meant to do this. That is wrong. They're all saying, that is wrong. That's not okay. You just got forgiven and now you're saying, that's wrong. So the voice where we silence, where things need to be spoken about is not Jesus's reality. We have to say, that's wrong. That's not okay. That's not okay. He does not need to be able to do that to him. He does not understand and that is not right. So it's not the job of the Christian community to pretend like things aren't happening or to sit idly and just gather and pray and worship more. There are many times that us walking in forgiveness means speaking up for someone who's being harmed. Does that make sense? This is a clear part of this passage. For us to watch and not step in, that's sin by, what's it called? Sin by omission no nope anyway you guys are a lively bunch today really it's great it's great so this is not again the passage where you build your understanding or theology of end time or eternal punishment don't misread scripture in this way what is this passage trying to tell you and me forgiveness is the baseline God forgave such a massive debt that it's larger than any number that they could write. God forgave such a massive debt that somebody fell on their knees and he was instantly, there was no like, are you sure you're, uh, it was instant, it said it. As soon as he fell on his knees and was like, I'm so sorry, your debt's gone. Your debt's gone. He's trying to show how lavish he's doing this. And then he's asking us to do the same for others. Who are we holding debts against. When we live as forgiveness people, we live into the eschaton or into the future. We live forward. When we live in the bitterness and anger, we are literally saying, I'm not in that prison anymore, but I would like my life to look like I was in that prison. Are we living into the future? Are we living from the past? We don't need to choose that anymore. As a church, we need to stop Being so good at pointing out the bad things that people don't even know what forgiveness looks like. Like this is one of the first generations where I think we've been taught so much to speak truth to power that there's no end. It's just, and it's fun, Twitter, right? Like the seven things that are trending right now. I haven't even looked. Are the things that are happening negative and people are calling it out? And that is good if it leads to the reconciliation of Christ or to the benefit of helping someone else out. But you cannot remove Jesus from this process. Jesus is the baseline. This story is about Jesus and what he did. This is about how he lavishly came and loved us. If we haven't experienced that as our own, we can't give it. And if we're only giving the other, push pause Ask him to invite your heart into a place of reconciliation. It will be slow and sloppy. It will cause you to have weird conversations. You will have to bump into prisons within your own heart you don't know how to handle without brother or sister. The community of God will be present for you. They won't understand it all the time. Scripture won't be super clear at times about it. You'll feel confused and lost at times because you've learned to hide behind these things and you feel shame because of some of these things. And some of us still believe the harms about us are us. So there's so many layers to this, right? It's not just a, you choose forgiveness and hey, go get them. It's not, but it's a decision that we are forgiving people. And ultimately at the end of the day, if I've decided I won't anymore, then I've just told Jesus like Peter did, there needs to be a limit. And that's not Jesus's work. Jesus is asking us to show How to be this. What does our culture need? It needs a confessing people. It needs a people of repentance. Not because those are hard, scary, bad things, but they are beautiful. Have you ever been forgiven truly by someone you've harmed? Can you express what that feels like? I can, because I've harmed people. And to see truly in someone else's eyes that they forgive me, it frees me. But to know that someone is withholding that from you. To know that the church could withhold that from one another is a reality. So the choice is by the Spirit of God to be led into new lands with milk and honey where we don't choose the oppression of our past or the cages we decided to live in, but we choose the eschaton, the future that Jesus a forgiveness, a kingdom that has all tribes and all languages and all speaking and all worshiping. We're moving towards that, not backwards. Please let this be a challenge that draws you deeply into community. We need the community of God to stand in its rightful place. We need people to fight for how hard it is to live this out. We have to be seasoned with Jesus's words because they live in us, and we've experienced the grace to what it means to be fully forgiven when we deserved punishment this is truth jesus is truth jesus is truth jesus is truth jesus is truth if you would mind just close your eyes jesus is truth jesus is truth if we can't land in that spot we're going to be very confused jesus is truth if the worship can go ahead and come up. As I pray, I'm I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pray kind of an opening prayer for us to walk in and then anybody in this room, after we have a little bit of worship happen, we're gonna turn the cameras off. We're gonna have some open prayer in here for anybody who would like it. Uh, We're gonna start offering that each week. So with your eyes closed, I'm just gonna ask you I'm gonna ask you to picture Jesus in your mind, in your mind's eye, and he's asking you the question, do you wanna live in Egypt or do you wanna live in the new land? He's asking you the question, do you wanna live as a future people? Because forgiveness and forgiving is a future, that's a future living thing. Or do you wanna live in the past? Do you wanna continue to hold all of these people, this thing, responsible? And then I want you to let Jesus lead you at his pace. And as we step into a time of ministry and worship, allow your heart to surface the things that would keep you, just one second, Let let me come over there, just one second, okay. Allow your hearts to keep you focused on what he's drawing out. I get a sense that people, your first instinct is to think about where you've been wronged. Jesus is the healer. And I think secondly, the thing that's gonna surface is a person that Jesus wants to help you learn how to forgive. A community, you need to learn how to forgive. So Jesus, as we step into the space of worship, Let this be a place where your spirit quickens, strengthens, encourages, and draws us together at your feet. Just take a few minutes to respond. So we're gonna close out online right now, and I'm just gonna pray over you, Jesus, that you would make your face to shine upon anyone listening to this pod or this, uh, this video this week that they would sense your nearness and how your grace lavishly envelops every bit as, as much of anything else that's there and to walk into that as people who walk into this world carrying it. I thank you for everything that you're doing, in Jesus' name. I do wanna invite you next Tuesday to our prayer and worship night. It will be a time of seeking and a time of the presence of God and so it will be in the table. And then this Wednesday night, We'll have a community gathering at Bronner that we hope to see you at. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you
0: again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.